Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 97. I am your host, Walter, and joining me today is Azil. Hey guys, and girls. Yeah, guys, girls. And non-binary genders. Very inclusive of you, thank you. It's just me and Azil today. Griff and Grail could not make it, that's unfortunate, because we got a big episode to talk about, lots of cool developments, and we will get to that in a moment. The only piece of Berserk news that I have to share is, of course, that Volume 40's cover was recently announced. Actually, I feel like it was like yesterday we first saw our first glimpse of it on Twitter. Um, it looks really striking. Yeah, um, it's great. If you haven't seen it yet, it's almost a monochrome shot of Farnese, Shirke, and the dog from Casca's Dream World, all in kind of, like I said, a monochrome. Very cool pose. Very cool lines. I like the way it's done. It's obviously CG, uh, but it looks really, really sharp. I like it a lot. Um, and Farnese actually is clutching, and if you look really closely, just under her chin actually is what we call the sprite version of Casca. So Casca made a tiny, 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 tiny appearance on the volume that centers around her, which is kind of a bummer, but I'm sure, well, she'll get another chance to shine, whatever that might be in the future. So, um, I really like it, and I can't wait to see what the posters, the poster design is going to be of. I have a general idea. I bet the the Femto Falcon thing and dog transformed oh, Berserk armor. Just gotta probably be making just gotta be Casca in her, you know, uh, you know, elfin oh, dress. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 like if it's not, I'm gonna write Mira to complain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a good opportunity for it, for sure. If not this one, then the next volume. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, because I don't think she's going to keep that dress for very long, but I mean, the design's pretty great and she looks great in it. So, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, that's uh, that's a good opportunity for it. But... Uh, oh, yeah. it's a good point. I don't know what her ultimate character design will be, but yeah, I mean, I feel like he did it that way so heavily designed to leave an impression. Yeah. And it definitely left an impression for sure. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we, we can always get, uh, the giant falcon monster and, uh, the dog, you know, fighting on the other side of the poster. Yep. Actually, it reminds me that we haven't really talked about volume 40 since we last, uh, had a podcast because it's been a couple months was we were on hiatus because the series was on hiatus. But, um, this is actually coming out September 28th and it is, uh, scheduled to be the shortest volume ever with just seven episodes inside. Uh, volume 39 had eight, which was itself the previous contender or record holder for at least number of episodes. And this one's only supposed to have, I think it's 180 pages, which is very short compared to, well, when the series used to have 11 episodes about uh, 20 years ago, it was that was the norm, was 11 episodes per volume. And now we're down to seven, so... They're going to look a little different sitting aside along in a bookshelf, yep. which is a bummer. But the only thing I have to say about that is like, you know, I'm going to buy it no matter what. That's not really the question. The question is like why Hakusensha decided now was the time to bind it together and send it out. Um, I suppose, and I, I've been saying this for a while in a vacuum because there's nothing really to prove it, but it, it seems like to me the publisher wants to get one volume per year. They've done that since volume 38. 39 and now 40 that's the only conclusion i can come up with about why they would push us out the door with you know one to two episodes shy of a full volume but yeah i think there might also be so i'm you know i agree with you that uh, they must definitely want to be uh, releasing a volume per year but you know the question is like why didn't they wait till november why is it because they could have put yeah. like one more episode in you know like it's 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 doable it's conceivable i think there's also a matter of uh you know uh, the general schedule of releases of manga not just from hakusensha but other publishers and i think they you know they must have decided that september was a time you know that was the time to to do it and they yeah. stuck by it and I mean, sure. I, I think, you know, the way I see it, it's, it's not going to make a big difference, uh, in the end because long, you know, like, you know, far from now, many years down the line, there might be like re-releases, you know, with, you know, you know, uh, how to say, um, 
compendium of volumes, you know, where maybe like mm-hmm. three three volumes in one, that kind of stuff. So in the end, it's not going to make a big difference. That being said, uh, you know, like I've said before, I think we, in order for Berserk to be finished in like the proper way, to have the proper amount of episodes and be finished, you know, in a reasonable time frame, uh, which is like over a decade anyway, but still that's a reasonable one. I think we need to get at least nine you know, eight to nine to ten episodes a year, and and yeah. So to me, that's that's a, the big thing people should you know focus on. It's it doesn't matter if there's like you know breaks that are two or three months or that kind of stuff. What matters is the amount of episodes that get released yearly, and uh, I think that's what we should be focusing on. And yeah, yeah, we got six this year so far. Uh, it's possible there will be another one, which will make it seven, uh, and that would be great. So we're not quite there at the nine that we need to be, but yeah. Uh, and as far as what will matter over time, I agree. And it's not as if Miura makes serious decisions about stories wrapping up at the end of a volume. That rarely ever happens. Yeah. You rarely have the last episode of a volume making any sense for an ending point. I mean, like I think the, the volume 34 to 35 split was the most memorable for me because yeah. it's right as the world changes, except – 35 begins with the final episode of that change. <laughs> yeah, it's just... So, it was just a weird... Yeah, I just... Like, you can tell they don't care because of that. Yep. I mean, so if exactly. there's any indication, I mean, that's, that's the one. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's also the fact, something we didn't mention, but that um, 356 was split. Right. <laughs> which is, again, odd. I, I think it's it was probably part of... Uh, the editor must have tried to keep some things continuous, and then... It was a failure because, you know, the next episode took a, a little while to come out. So, but yeah, I, I think they're trying. I think they're all trying. Mira and his editors and everyone are trying to to get into a rhythm, a skill that will work, trying to find something that will work to have regular releases. And um, mm-hmm. we'll have to see what, you know, it ends up being. But I'm, I want to say I'm still hopeful that uh, we, can, we can get something that works, that's regular and uh, works for us. Yeah, nine a year sounds good. Nine or ten a year sounds like it could be doable and also keeping the series at a decent pace. That would be nice. Yeah. I think that's a good conclusion about why 356 was split and why this one was not. I think it makes sense. They made it basically – it sounds like they made kind of a crazy decision to – if we want to keep once a month, but this is the number of episodes we have in hand, we can make this work as long as we get 357 in time. And it sounds like they just didn't get it in time, hence the short two- or three-month break we had recently. So – uh, anyway, yeah, that's a possibility. I was happy to see that 357 was a full episode uh, and not split again, but that's just a weird – you know, it's weird to host a podcast about six pages. That's just a really awkward scenario to be in. So I'm glad I wasn't in that in situation this time. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get in it. We've already talked about volume 40. Let's go ahead and jump into 357. The episode starts with Griffith uh, just pulling his sword out of the giant's uh, eye. And he broadcasts that image uh, via Sonya to the rest of the giants to kind of demoralize them. They clean up and they talk about how they might get home. And when they finally realize, when the soldiers finally realize what it is, they're actually traveling through the branches of the world tree, uh, aided by this kind of Stonehenge-like structure that kind of enables them to enables them to vault up to the. Well, we'll talk about the details about that <laughs> in a little bit. It allows them to get back to Falconia immediately. Uh, which is very cool and is the biggest story development uh, in this side of the, the st- of Griffith story in, in quite a while since the transformation of the world that they have this means to go, you know, seemingly anywhere instantaneously through the branches of the world tree as long as there's some kind of aid in the form of these ancient artifacts, ruins out in the world. Anyway, that's the episode. Let's jump in. What struck me the most about this was we had seen uh, the boy travel through the branches. So the fact that such a transfer transportation exists wasn't surprising. What was surprising to see was to see it used on mass across an entire army. And, you know, that kind of changes the game about getting from A to B across this massive world um, for Griffith's side of things. So that was a surprise. Yeah. But also the fact that Griffith is basically embracing what is, I mean, to me, indistinguishable from formalized magic. You know, he's using these supernatural things that had been persecuted for a while. But I guess the difference is now he's monopolized it on this on the continent. You know, he's the one that can do these supernatural things. 
nobody else. It's not so different from any conqueror in that he's wiping out, you know, uh, creatures and people and whatever, but whatever artifacts they had, whatever riches, whatever, you know, uh, techniques and things and objects uh, and technologies, he's, you know, using them from for his own purposes. So, I mean, he's very pragmatic. Uh, it's just these old things, slaying anything related to them, but we can use them ourselves for all, you know, what we need and uh, we're going to. Right. The appearance of those, um, I guess I guess we're calling them Stonehenge. I don't like calling it Stonehenge because Stonehenge is a very particular monument in our world and well, this is not called it, Stonehenge. So, so like an individual uh, thing like that is called a dolmen. Uh, it's, okay. a, it's a Celtic thing. So we, we have them in France and uh, they're also, of course in, uh, in Great Britain. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's basically uh, two stone pillars and uh, one thing on top, another one on top. So these big stones and yeah, they form kind of gates and these are called dolmens. And mm. So Stone Age is like the most uh, famous uh, alignment of dolmens in the world, but there's many other uh, geographical sites where there are these, you know, uh, uh, these kind of uh, structures, including not far from, from where I live, actually, in the forest. Oh, cool! But uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's what they are called. If you don't want to call it Stone Age, it's just you know dolmens. Awesome. I'm glad I don't have to keep calling it Stonehenge. <laughs> but the uh, the appearance of Stonehenge, damn it, <laughs> the Dolmens, uh, actually um, answers a question that I'd had earlier, which was the arrangement of this campaign and how they got there and all that, all that kind of stuff. The question always was, were we seeing in episode 356 the uh, beginning or the end of a long campaign against the, the giants and – it seems to me from the arrangement of this episode that uh, the humans had actually been out there fighting for a while, and, and Griffith and the others might have come this way very quickly uh, to, to aid them uh, in this to finish off the campaign. I, I'm actually, I actually don't don't think so. I think what went on is um, really a campaign to conquer and clean out uh, an area, which is you know an army led by Griffiths with the demon soldiers and the humans. And yeah, they, they must have fought. I think I think they went quite a while, uh, you know, mm. from uh, Falconia. So it's not like they went out for a day and you know, and and they could have come back just you know in a day's riding. I think it's like days away, maybe weeks away by horse. And so they fought these giants and you know killed them off. And as they did. Uh, Griffiths knew there was something, you know, some relic that could be used, and that's how they came back. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, because when you when you look at the dialogue, which I've got a, a rough understanding, well, not not rough, which I've got a, a pretty good understanding of, thanks to Pella. Um, Robin says, you know, to Mule that it's not something like they can't keep these places safe with just uh, stationing some troops there. They need like mm -hmm. the full, you know, might of the army and the demon soldiers in order to uh, have these successful campaigns. But it's not like they can just leave a few, you know, uh, contingents or whatever, and, and, and that's going to do it. So, like, I, I think if it was just... You know, apart just the humans fighting the giants, they would have been wiped out, you know. They, right. they couldn't do You're it. right. That makes sense. But um I guess my point was that they they might have been out there for a while, but they got back in a in a in a quick in a flash, which was a surprise to the key human soldiers that, you know, we make our connections with, which is Bourbon and, and Mule. So if mm. this form of transport is new to them, it certainly means they didn't get there that way. So they oh, had yeah. a ground based campaign. And they return through this new, newfound to them at least supernatural yeah. means. Yeah. And um, the door it opens for the rest of the series is basically how will they use this kind of transport in the future, and what will that mean for conquering? Because as you say, Raban makes a solid point because it's like Mira's already thought about it. It's like you can go out and have these sorties and conquer certain people, but what, what, can you really put stakes in the ground in this new area without being able to defend it and? The answer is clearly no. Uh, so then what's the point of, of doing these campaigns except for just purely extermination purposes? Yeah, you know, I think there's, so I, I think this, uh, there's really quite a lot of things that this episode either uh, confirms or, you know, hints at. So the first is that 
Griffiths and Falconia and the armies, they are definitely on a, not a quest, but they are, they have, they've got a military campaign going on where they're just exterminating uh, astral creatures. So that's something I theorized all, uh, many years ago. Um, and so I think it's not unexpected. But yeah, they are basically trying to wipe out all of these things. And presumably, so now that in this episode, it says they've uh, cleaned out the east, eastern part of, you know, around Falconia. But, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they're not going to stop there. So they're just going to try to, to clean more and more and maybe even the whole world. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, that might be with the help of uh, Griffith's little friends, you know, mm. his peers, let's say. Yeah, who's in the West? Yeah, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a story for another day. But yeah, so <laughs> that, that's one of the things that's established. The other thing is that, and that's uh, a, a key part of Raban and Mule's talk, is it's not like they can just... They're not going to like expand, you know, and make cities and anything like that because, like he says, even if we accept refugees and make them, you know, just settle down there and farm and stuff like that, they never know when monsters might come back. So it's not just, you know, like conquering an area and killing everything that, you know, lives there is, is fine, but it doesn't mean it becomes your territory and it's safe and they can't guarantees that they stay safe for a simple reason is that they've got a limited amount of demon soldiers and without the apostles well you know there's just no way they can secure it then i just kind of wished that raban and, and mule had not been interrupted uh and they actually could continue that conversation because raban ends it by basically saying we can reclaim land but we can't settle it therefore what the hell are we doing out here <laughs> you know yeah this is the question because the humans don't have an answer for that they're just following orders in their in their mind, they're probably exterminating things, but as Raban astutely points out, it's not like we've made progress for the borders of our uh, kingdom. So then, what are we even doing here? Yeah, well, you know, so that's also kind of answered in this episode when they find the uh, when Sonia says Sonia tells Griffiths that they found the the dolmens. Uh, yeah. You know, Griffiths explains that it's 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 key. It's a key to a, to a problem. That's that's mm. how he puts it. Basically, is that it's it's going to solve the problem they had, and he later on says that you know that there are many relics lying around the world, you know, buried, and uh, you know his armies are going to have to start collecting them or at least finding them, and and that's going to help them in their you know military conquest. So mm-hmm. you know that's another thing we knew we suspected they were out to destroy the astro creatures, and now it's confirmed. And it's also confirmed that they're going to try and use uh, the leftovers of the old magical world to, you know, further on their objectives. And then there's a final thing, which is uh, this whole travel thing. So, yeah, like you said, now we know that troops can travel that way, and that's a big deal. But with the caveat that they have to be led by Griffiths. Uh, right. Griffiths is the only one who can lead someone like that, or at least at this uh, scale that they know of. So that limits, they can't just send in, you know, I don't know, squads and, you know, send them back. And presumably, it can only be done from specific points in specific ways. So, like, we, we saw them going back from that portal to um, Falconia. We're not sure yet if the other way is possible, if they can travel from the tree back to that place. I mean, it's probable, but yeah. n- no certainty. And what I find most interesting, I think, about this episode is the you know, importance of Sonia to Griffiths. I mean, we knew she she mattered, but there's always been this kind of sense that, yeah, sure, she can see the flow of the battlefield, that kind of stuff, but I mean... Like, could Griffiths not win without that? Yeah, he probably could. You know, I mean, he's, he's you know, a member of the Gold Hand. You know, he can probably, I don't know, just extend his hand, just kill them all with, you know, flexing a finger or something. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she, she, she matters. She matters a lot. And, and that's reinforced in this episode very strongly, I thought, with the idea that she's the one that's going to be scouting, that's going to be going through the branches of the tree going to places, finding what is there, coming back, and then informing, you know, uh, the campaign, you know. So she's actually, I mean, that goes back to, you know, what she told Shuriken, Ritanes, and many other things is her role is actually 
more important in a way than that of the apostles. You know, she, she's she's really really an important part of Griffith's strategy, and she's a really important character for what they're doing. And um, and yeah, so I, I I think that also gives us you know ideas for future things, which is for example. We might see Sonia one day appear in Elfon, you know, in, right. in Skellig. And she, she, there might be something like, hmm, you know, I don't know, a girl fling be like, something's going on. And they rush and they find Sonia there looking at an elf or something like that. And yeah. so that's a thing which right now I would be like, I'm, I'm quite, I wouldn't say confident, but I, I really wouldn't be surprised if it occurred in the future. And um, yeah. This. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And, and to go back to something earlier you'd said about making Sonya special, I feel like that's a move by Miura to make – to kind of ground Griffith or Femto and what was otherwise kind of a very otherworldly, inhuman way. Now he, you know, at least uh, superficially needs the help of another human to accomplish what he needs. Yeah. And that's, that's just a way of deepening Griffith's character and his roots to the to the real world. It also makes him a little – seem a little bit more vulnerable – in the case of a story change where, say, Sonya won't comply with what he needs, does that complicate for him things for him? In any case, all these things makes the story more interesting yeah. than him being able to do all these things to the snap of his fingers. So I think that's useful from a storytelling perspective. But it also kind of lifts Sonya up as a character, lets her have some agency in these big world-shaking things that are happening. So, yeah, you make an excellent point, which is, you know, over the years I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, like – Femto and Griffiths, whatever, they're basically, you know, invincible. And, you know, godlike, can do anything, could just, why does he need to do this way? Could just snap his finger and, you know, kill everyone. But, you know, I mean, there's got to be limits to his powers. And the way Mura's developed the story and the fact he needs the apostles and he still commands armies, you know, these are, you know, clues to the fact that his powers have limits. He can do things and he's extremely powerful, that's for sure. But there are limits to what he can do. And, uh, you know, the, the way things are being done, you can tell that Griffiths clearly follows a kind of plan. You know, there's, there's, there's a way things, things are being done, a specific way for a specific reason in order to achieve a specific goal with finite whatever amount of resources. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, like you say, this, you know, is just like further proof of that fact. It's just Griffiths could not by himself just kill all of his enemies and conquer all over the world. He needs, he needs people, you know, he, he needs others to help him. And, um, and yeah, that also invites the fact that he might be vulnerable if these people are taken away from him. Hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. There's a lot to say, actually. <laughs> I'm writing down notes as you're, as you're saying things. The, the, the Griffith needs people or Femto needs people that the God Hand still need people to accomplish their means. That is actually is a very interesting point because it goes back to the, the entire – the union that Griffith created between apostles and humans in order to claim Falconia basically to get there. He needed them all to work together in a, to, a, to a certain extent. And in this episode towards the end, what the humans say is that, um, wow, we've, we've put something incredible that you know Griffith has done. And then actually, I think it's, I'm not sure who it is that says it, but it says, um, we performed a feat with the band of the Falcon. So they participated in this magical, you know, amazing thing together. Yeah. Like they, they're not, they're not just, they are just followers, but they have a stake in this victory. You know, they, they participated. They weren't just necessarily along for the ride. So I think that's the important part as well is that they are participants, not just onlookers to this way that they're carving yeah yeah indeed and um it actually likes the easy uh tit- title of the episode which is uh, triumphant uh, return at dawn is uh actually the like the last thing uh griffith says in the mm. in the episode it's as, as a return and i think that's another part of the episode that's um very interesting is the relationship between the humans and the, the apostles and oh yeah <laughs> the, the general i think uh, feelings of the humans in the army and there are two things you know like two two scenes 
where that's being addressed. The first one is when Griffith summons the souls of the dead soldiers. So uh, I know some people at first, uh, when we first got the pictures, uh, were wondering if that's like the souls of the giants, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's just the humans who died during uh, the mm -hmm. fight. So what's actually surprising is there's really not many of these souls. So it's just a dozen. So, you know, it's a, it's a testimony to the effectiveness of uh, Griffith's strategies that just like... 12 guys died, you know, fighting these mm -hmm. giants. And yeah, or whatever number it is that we can see captured in that page. But you're right. It does not seem like that very many. Yeah. For sure. So, um, uh, and, and yeah, and, and we see, so uh, Mule uh, thinking that uh, things he's seen, he puts his mind at ease, you know, like purifies it. And, you know, Raban comments on the fact that, you know, the most important thing for a soldier is that he's able to go back to his, you know, loved ones. You know, and the fact Griffiths, even if you die on the battlefield, he can still bring you back for a last meeting with your family. That's something that really gives them, like, I don't know, <laughs> ease of mind. It's pretty fucked up when you think about it, though, because it's basically like bombing a city and being able to be, you have 72 versions whenever you die. It's like, don't worry, in, even in death, you'll be taken care of. Don't worry about that. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead and rush headlong into battle. Don't worry about that. We got you on the other end. You got insurance. That's actually exactly what it is. Is even if you die, don't worry, we got you. And of course, what's great is, <laughs> I mean, I always think back to what Griffith says the first time we see this. Uh, you know, when Mule first, you know, goes to the camp and see him, you mm. know, at the starlit sky, and he, when you know, they wonder uh, where they go. Where they're going, the souls, and Griffith said, a place where they'll become one. <laughs> mm -hmm. And when you when you know what that place is, which is a vortex mm -hmm. of souls, it's just yeah, well. yeah, it's a very forward answer, really. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, straight to hell. Yeah. So they'll all become one is a giant whirlpool of, you know, awfulness. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, uh, I doubt many of them are going to a good place. But uh yeah. So in any case, so that, that's a big deal. And uh, and then there's also later on uh, when uh, Mule and Rabban are talking about, you know, how they're getting used to fighting mm -hmm. with apostles. And Mule says basically that they're trustworthy comrade in arms, you know, that uh, fight alongside humans and that he's – you know, he's gotten used to them. And Braban is like, well, you know, to be honest, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still afraid. And I'm like, man, you know, honestly, my, my feeling was like, oh, Mule is just so dumb. And Raban is just like, yeah, you should be afraid. Yeah. I mean, these, like, these guys are monsters. Yeah. They're, they're this is my secret favorite part of the whole episode. It actually is that frame with, with Raban expressing skepticism despite everything they've been through. And also the fact that in that panel, he's paired with like the, the demon looking apostle that has like the horns on either side of his jaws, like the most monstrous looking of all the apostles <laughs> in the background there. Even he's like, yeah, it's still kind of creeped me out. I don't know about this. Whereas <laughs> Mule is, this is, is bought into this. I, th I think it's very it's very telling, and it's not like it's a surprise that Raban is skeptical of this. He's we've seen sidelong glances from him and comments, you know. Even though he's a very uh, what's the word loyal to Griffith, you can tell in the back of his mind he's the one to kind of be like, ah, is this all legit? You know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when we are first introduced to Raban and Owen, uh, they are the ones who are not like purely against Griffiths because. Mm -hmm. Even back then, they were already like reasonable and skeptics, uh, you know, and how to say. Yeah, they, they recognized his actual natural abilities and didn't just reject it out of hand because he was a commoner. Yeah. They were actually pra pragmatic about yeah, what they saw. Yeah, exactly. They were grounded and, you know, were thinking about things. And so, Raban, you know, the same qualities he had then are also on display here uh, in, the, in that Good he's, point. you know – when people are like, oh, so this is, you know, the, you know, the old capital and now we're safe. And it's like, well, you know, actually the world's fucked up and people are already forgetting what it was like before. But I mean, it's not the same and it's not like, it's not necessarily better, you know, than what it was, you know. And <laughs> I think it's important that there's one guy saying that and it's him. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I've said so ten, you know, many times before. I, I think down the line, he's gonna be the guy to think, "Oh man, it's it's fucked up. We've been manipulated into some yeah. some evil shit here." And you know, I mean, I think it's obvious because because of that, these qualities, and it's interesting to see him display them here. 
uh, you know, whereas Mule is just, I mean, he's drunk the Kool-Aid, you know. <laughs> Which is unfortunate that that seems to be the case with Mule. Uh, I'm not, I, I think there's still, a, I, I think there's still hope for him. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think maybe not some of the others. Yeah, I, I think like Sonia could uh, change his mind. I think if Sonia mm. were to be in trouble, uh, Mule would do something yeah. about it and, and be stupid about it, just like he was. And <laughs> because I also like that, you know, when uh, when they have this talk about the souls, Raban tells Mule, uh, it's no reason to basically rush headlong yeah. and put various lives at risk and she's like uh, yeah yeah because he knows he's uh he's just doing some stupid stuff you know he tries to yeah how to say distinguish himself on the battlefield but he always ends up you know in trouble <laughs> so yeah i'd also want to preserve mule and just you know for the future on the the side of right mostly because i want to see him fight alongside oh, yeah. Sidro, yeah. kind of like bury their grudge <laughs> yeah i was actually that's <laughs> funny I, I was having a conversation with uh, my wife earlier and i was telling her that uh you know i really want to see Isidro just oh, yeah. basically you know fuck up mule like real good you know <laughs> man i didn't know how bad i wanted that moment until just now thinking about them on the same page again <laughs> Yeah, continuing the rivalry. You know, somehow, yeah, somehow, I, I think I've really identified with Zero in that I really want, I really want him to get him good. You know, mm. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, you know, he got a good, he got a good. Did, didn't Mule walk away from that like the black eye or something? Yeah, like that? yeah, I can't so remember. They, yeah, they got, you know, they were got, they both had <laughs> busted faces, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I want, and you know, I mean, Mule's not. You know, getting too much better. He's just riding his mm. horse and letting the, yeah, yeah. the apostles do the, the, you know, the heavy lifting. So I think all mm-hmm. boys got uh, good chances. Some of the other things you brought up in this talk was about Sonia having the ability to. It seems to me that she's able to sense um, how to get from A to B through the world tree. Yeah. Which she said otherwise would confound a normal human, wouldn't be able to get through there, wouldn't be able to find their way. She can preternaturally sense how to get where from, you know, for example, from the stone area to Falconia with Griffith's help. Yeah. So what what they say, it's interesting. If a normal guy were to try to attempt it, you know, like the branches, you know, they split – Almost to infinity. So you would end up, you know, under the sea or underground or that kind of stuff. You, you, you wouldn't, like, they'd be lost, basically. And mm-hmm. Sonia, because of her, you know, uh, magical abilities, she's ab- able to, to see through that and get to the destination she wants. And of course, mm-hmm. so does Griffiths. And, um, and that's why they tell the, the soldiers when they march, they tell them, don't lose sight of the figure ahead of you. Because if you, like, if you wander around, you'll never come out. Or you'll come out, you know, very far from where you want to be. Yeah, I, I like the idea that it's opening up the possibilities, as you said, of her traveling great distances, perhaps even on her own, like you said, scouting. I think that might be a going – I don't know that she would have the freedom to just go out into the wild world unaccompanied. But I like the idea of her potentially doing that and maybe ending up somewhere like Elfhelm yeah. and, and what that might do for her character. Because those those things add up to me, like her having a reunion with Shirke that's not within Falcone and that's not on the battlefield – that makes sense. That adds up that they'd have another face to face. Yeah, uh, and Elfhelm would make sense given uh, Sonia's obvious magical uh, affinity. She's never actually explored it before. She just knows she has these natural abilities. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, another interesting part. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know if like it's hard to know if she would actually travel by you know herself or if we would just project her mind through the tree i mean but yeah mm. i think i like the idea of her going places and seeing things by herself and obviously because her meeting again with shuriken uh in on Skellig would be very interesting and like you say so there's several things the first is sonia's magical abilities are very unlike anything we've seen before um she she can actually sense what's going to happen so you know in a right. way predict the future and she has this uh strong telepathic abilities and she can do some stuff uh like you know with the trees that kind of stuff but she doesn't use like regular magic and she can see souls you know uh yeah. so all this stuff we don't really know what her nature is and you know how come she got these you know powers so it would be interesting to learn more about that uh at the same time yeah i mean obviously when she met uh shiruke in uh in Ritanis, 
uh, I mean, it was a very fateful thing. And, you know, it, it's clear to me that, you know, there's going to be a follow-up on that, one or more. So it would make sense for her to come to Skellig and, you know, meet Shuki again. And she might come with Mule, you know, as a kind of guard. And, you know, they, they might, you know, encounter Shuriki and then Isidro again, that kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah, and then there's also what's, like, what that would lead to. Would she come and, you know, w- you know, Talk to Shiruke, tell her about Griffiths and what's going on, then leave and not. It's a, I think it's a quite. It opens up the question of allegiance beyond that point. Yeah, like I can see, I could see her returning to Griffith, but then having much more information about what is at stake and who Griffith might truly be. Yeah, that's what might open the door for that. Which it's it's obvious. It's pretty obvious, right, guys? That Sonya's not gonna gonna go down fighting for Griffith given her current well, like I mean position in the story it doesn't make any sense for her to go have no character development for her arc to be going straight up for Griffith and never come back down that doesn't make any sense to me yeah so. I, I mean I, so I, I I agree I definitely don't think she's going to be like a zealot you know but mm-hmm. you know to me there's so there's, there's several things will she if she Let's say she goes to Skellig, which is absolutely not a certainty at all. But let, mm-hmm. let's say she sure. let's say she does. Um, does she tell them about Griffiths? And does she learn about Griffiths? Like, does she learn mm-hmm. things are not all rosy? And does she tell them about his plans? So that's two things, possibilities, two which are separate. Like, she could tell them all about the plans and what's going on in Falconia and that kind of stuff, giving them much information. And she could not learn anything, or she could not tell them, and she could learn uh, about what Griffiths did, what he is, what he represents, the apostles, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So these two could happen at once or another. Then she could also, as she goes back, she has a choice to not tell Griffiths. She she could say, yeah, there was nothing interesting there. There was nothing special. Or she could go mm-hmm. and say, oh, boy. Oh boy, it's filled with stuff. Let's go, let's go. So, or she could also go back, and she has no choice. She has to tell them. So, she her trip could be, you know, innocuous, or it could also be a warning. She could be leaving and say, next time somebody comes through this portal, it's going to be a tough, you know, battle. Right. So, right. So it could be then, you know, like Guts and company and everybody sh- sh- could be preparing for a fight after that. Or she could leave and instead they say, man, we have to go back to stop this shit. Even though she doesn't tell, uh, she, it doesn't lead to an invasion of Skellig. So there's all mm-hmm. these possibilities, um, you know, just from that point. And of course, there's even more stuff, but I mean, I'm not going to talk for three hours. Sure, yeah. In in Vertanis, you know, her trip to Vertanis was preceded by, or rather, uh, was followed by the, the massive assault. And, you know, she showed Shirke the vision of what was to come. And though she wasn't necessarily there to scout out, um, the, the, the fight, but that's, that ended up being what, what happened. So I, I can kind of see something similar might happen if she's there to test the waters, as you said, about Skellig. I mean, she might even be able to get around some of the natural traps. And defenses that they have on the island because of her abilities. Yeah. But that's going a little far. And you know, there's things like, for example, let's say she stumbles upon Casca and she mm. just reads a mine, you know? And uh, I mean, there's no. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, she could, she could see, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing is that we've got some Casca. If she wants to know who Griffiths is, there's no problem. She can know. Easy, easy peasy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's, there's lots of interesting uh, possible developments going forward. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of turned the tables for me because whenever for, – for years and years, people have been saying, well, Elfhelm sure is happy. I'm sure it's going to be floored by apostles as soon as they get off the boat. Well, obviously, that wasn't happen. Then the next line of reasoning is, well, it will be. Just give it a few episodes. Apostles are going to be dropping by parachutes on top of the <laughs> island to, to, to firebomb it and flatten it. Like, well, I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening within the course of the story as it is right now. But now we have this new, how do we get from A to B? Don't worry about it. We have the world tree and we have Sonya to guide them and Griffith to guide them. Well, suddenly that is now a possibility. Now the question is, does it make sense for the story to have this fight at Elfilm slash Skellig? You know, right now we're in the near future. Uh, and I don't know. My, my feelings are the same as they always have been. Nothing's really changed just because now we have the the way to get A to B. To me is, does it make sense in the pacing of the story right now? I don't think so. 
not right now, maybe in the near future, distant future, perhaps, but the focus of the story is still on Guts and Casca. Like, I, I would naturally like to see that story resolve itself or come to a, a natural point and have some character development before we're gearing up for the bloodbath <laughs> or some shit, you know? I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Yeah, I agree. And also, I mean, so it would be, you know, Mira could decide to have, you know, Hellfound be uh, ransacked, you know, like, you know, double, you know, page shots of elves on fire and dying in blood everywhere. Like, you know, I mean, he could go for it, but you know, like, do I, do I feel like he's going to not, not necessarily, not really. I mean, you know, there could be a fight on Skellig, no problem. I think it would be a nice change if uh, it's what I said in the thread, if for, you know, like, you know, guts and, and you know, friends already ran away. You know, during the the floor fight, you know, they had to run off. Uh, you know, from Grand and that and stuff. I, I I would like like if there was another fight, I think it would be a nice change of pace if they actually won. You know, like mm. you know, there's yeah. there's you know a bunch of uh, intruders and you know they they get defeated, they get you know flattened, and and you know then. You know, uh, the, the you know the good guys can you know sink back and you know uh, make a decision. Uh, but yeah, there's also like I feel like for now, I mean, he's got he's got to be about guts and Casca. The thing is, mm-hmm. and and many other things. I mean, all the characters uh, right now have some thinking to do about what their future is, what their plan is. Even when guts eventually decides, uh, you know, he has to go and do something about you know Griffiths and stuff. Uh, you know, all of them will have to, you know, decide by themselves whether to accompany him or not on this, you know, suicide mission. So that's that's a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of development to yet to to, mm-hmm. to happen on our farm, and and that's a priority. But um, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's nothing. I don't feel like this episode has necessarily moved advanced things too much because. You know, it's a given that there's going to be some things that give uh, an impetus to Guts and, and friends to leave uh, Skellig and go back to the world. Uh, it's a given that there's going to be some action that takes place on the island because Mira usually doesn't let the uh, story stagnate too long without a fight. But, you know, there's still many possibilities. It doesn't have to be. Uh, an apostle army invading and destroying everything and yeah like you said that's what people have been saying for you know almost 20 years now but you know it's not ever since the word elf film came into the vocabulary yeah, so like, oh it's, it's gonna be yeah like you said they'll arrive there they will arrive there it will already be destroyed or you know and, yep. and, and since it wasn't the case now it's always gonna be destroyed but and we will see <laughs> we will see i mean there's there's many things that could happen yeah that's the thing as a I don't want to say I was frustrated because I totally see how someone could come to that conclusion. But to me, that's not necessarily where things have to go. Like just because they have a way to get A to B does not mean that they're just going to go to Elfhelm. That that's the only reason Mira introduced this dramatic new supernatural way to travel. Like to me, it, it totally changes the way that they conduct as Griffith alludes to is how they, how they conduct their campaigns. Cause now they can go presumably anywhere in the world and then zoom back to Falconia if things get hairy, for example, they can they can conduct these quick strikes with without fear of reprisals. They can just do these quick sorties if they have to, and then come right back and then come right back whenever they want to. They can feasibly be anywhere that they have waypoints for. Although we don't know how that A to B or B to A travel works, we know they can go from say these stones through the World Tree back to Falconia. Can they go from Falconia through the World Tree to one of these stones? I would presume so, but I, I don't have no idea. No idea yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's many things, and of course, the fact they need to be led by Griffiths is a yeah. quite a limiting factor. I mean, it's it's a, again, it's a, an interesting part of what Robin says that I feel like a lot of people might uh, overlook. But you know, even though they always win the fights, like the you know Falconia army is always uh, successful, but it's always being led by Griffiths, always with the help of Sonia, always with the Demon Soldiers, so. You remove these elements, you know, things are very different. You know, there's no apostles, yeah. they can't win. There's no Sonia, no Griffiths, they can't, you know, travel through these, you know, portals and they probably can't win as easily either. So, you know, there's actually a lot of constraints 
which again I, I feel plays an interesting role in this episode in grounding the limits of what Falconia can do, what Griffiths can do, what the Apostles can yeah. do. I mean, this you know, band of the Falcon is not invincible and its might is not like unlimited. It can't just do anything. So they're, they're clearing out monsters, but it's taking them time and effort. Yeah, and it can't settle it still because of the more monsters around. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly, yeah. One of the other things I want to talk about was the visuals. Um, I really like, you know, this is a whole new concept that Mir has introduced into Berserk, the, this transportation. Uh, and the way he does that, I really like the effect uh, if you, as you're looking through the, um, yeah. whatever they call, what are they called again? Uh, dolmens. It's, the, let, let's, dolmens. Let's call yeah. it the Corridor of Dolmens. Yes. The Corridor of Dolmens. It's nice and catchy. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, yeah. Uh, it has like a vanishing point. You know, like everybody knows what I'm talking about, how the way that overlaps with itself in this very surreal looking thing on the horizon when you're looking through them. I really like that effect. And also he has another crazy effect uh, as they see the soldiers kind of spilling out of the sky. You can kind of see them kind of swirling out in this pattern, like almost a other Fibonacci sequence kind of in the sky. It looks really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, as well. I like it. And uh, I mean, it's pretty ballsy to have them actually like gallop in the sky. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's not an easy effect to pull off, but I think Mir actually manages uh, to do it. So, very nice, you know. Yeah. I mean, technically, it seems like what's happening is like the dolmens um, kind of almost propel them, or at least they, they go from point A in the dolmens and they end up somewhere in the sky. It's kind of a weird, like, idea to get your head around exactly how they're able to do that. But obviously, it's a world tree. So, I guess what I'm saying is I wonder if they if you see them – walk through the stones if they are then suddenly moving up or like teleported up into the branches it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but yeah i think uh, i mean it depends oh they go up the trunk probably yeah they'd ride up the trunk probably nah yeah i see i don't even I, know I, I think they like the so the corridors that's formed by the dolmens you know like gives that weird twisting effect and you know they emerge in the sky but, mm-hmm. you know, they're in the sky, probably not as just uh, physical, tangible bodies, but as kind of, you know, ethereal things going through the branches of the, mm. you know, the war spider tree. And then they come out on the ground again, you know, at the base. Yeah, that part tree. I understand, sort of understand, like the branches. I guess what I mean is going from just the dolmens to the sky. And that's the part I didn't quite understand. I think it's a, but it's just, yeah. you can just say it's the branches, it, you know. I say, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, like a, the teleport, basically. They, mm-hmm. they emerge from the corridor into the branch in the sky. Mm. The other thing I maybe think about is I'm watching these, also this great two-page spread uh, as we see what's actually happening of the, like the silhouettes of the, the knights going through the branches on the two-page spread is also really beautiful. Also paired with the the the, uh, the, the uh, birds at the top of the page as well. I like the idea of them flying along with the birds and the branches. Yeah. It's a pretty cool visual. Uh, also made me think about if such a mode of transport was available to, you know, say someone like Geyser, you know, a thousand years ago, if the, we are in a time that's similar and parallel to what happened a thousand years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, these are ancient relics. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't know if uh, Geyseric uh, had these things, but they did exist. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, no doubt were used for that purpose. So, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's really difficult to, you know, uh, envision what, the old world was like uh it was well, we know like two things about it we know we know they had a a fire hose we know that from, from Rickard, yeah finding that in the city right. we, know, we got one fact number one we got fire hoses fact number two uh the world tree probably was there uh at that time yeah god called it the, the chaos of the ancient time when the, all the worlds were still together and not separated distinguished by the um forest of spirit trees so that's the factor two. Yeah. Factor three, this dude with a skull mask riding around with his army. And he killed a lot of people. Yep. Yeah, man. I'd really like to see that. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. My point is just like, it's still very hard to, because. Oh, sure. I mean. <laughs> go, I, to go from fire hose to an actual theory. Yeah. yeah it's, it's because, you know, a lot of people over the years, as you know, have tried to, you know, from 
what Charlotte... I'd like to solve the puzzle. Yeah, from what Charlotte says, you know, they've tried to, like, reconstruct the thing. And, I mean, my... Basically, what I've replied every single time, you know, the past 15 years is that story is just a story. It's not reliable. We don't know what's true or not in it. So we don't know what's, you know, like, accurate or deformed. And basically, you can't... You just can't know. You, you, you'll never be able to yeah. guess correct. I mean, you can guess correctly, but... If you try to feed the facts, it's not gonna work because they're like they contradict themselves, you know, inherently. So, and you know, the more we learn about the ancient world, the less it sounds like you know Charlotte's story is accurate. So that, that's kind of mm-hmm. what I was trying to say. Is you know, I think when we actually get to see it, it's, it's just not really not gonna be. I mean. It's going to be like that, but also we'll have, you know, uh, things that when you look back at what people were saying in 2004, it's just going to be ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, mostly what Charlotte says, and that can still be consistent in the story, is that the city was destroyed by apparently supernatural means. Yeah. And it sure seems like the God Hand were involved, or at least a sacrifice happened in some way yeah. at the city. And that's that's really all we learn about that flashback. Yep. And it's just that fan theories have expounded that to this, you know, massive proportion that it's, yeah. the reality is, is still pretty thin though. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the key points are easy and will definitely be true uh, when we get to sing. But yeah, it's, it's more like what people have extrapolated from it. And, uh, and yeah, that doesn't really fit, you know. <laughs> this is a somewhat off topic, but what still bugs me about when people usually bring up the, the Charlotte or the volume 10 flash story, frame story about Geyserich is that, they had, they acknowledged that there's was there was there four or were there five beings they they admit some discrepancy in the retelling, but a lot of people are really caught up on the fact that it says Geyserich that was the sinful king and that <laughs> the angels were sent to punish the king like they they take that as gospel like do they not understand that the entire church and the religion is itself is like a manipulation and that the story is is a verbal tale that was probably simplified and reduced through its retelling like all these things yeah they don't they don't mean a one to one in reality and I, I don't, it just bugs me yeah yeah it's kind of what i was uh, referring to you know among other things it's just these kind yeah. of things so but yeah in any case uh it's interesting, and and of course there's talk of relics, but we don't know. Like, uh, does Griffiths mean just you know these kind of portals made mm. from dolmens or whatever else? You know, maybe I don't know seaweed under the sea or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you you brought up in the thread that it, it might mean you know something you know any, anything related to the astral world, perhaps. Yeah. Like how how much do we really draw the line? I mean, we have no way of, of knowing. We, we I think the version that we saw is like the perfect example of it because it has it's an ancient ruin that clearly has some kind of inherent or innate magical abilities tied to it and you can ride troops straight through it so it's like the perfect ornamentation slash power source to do what we're doing but can you do that with like those little donut things outside of enoch village <laughs> probably not well maybe they were not meant for that meant for something yeah. else but yeah and my point was also more like um like could it also be weapons or, you know, mm. I mean, I, you know, like a sword with salamander power or that kind of stuff? You know, are they mm-hmm. going to try to use, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of relics and uh, we've seen some at Flora's house and we know there's some in uh, in Skellig. I mean, there's also the, the Wicker Man that uh, Molda used, you know, that kind of thing could also be considered maybe, you know, a relic mm. of the ancient world. So all these things are, are, are the, you know, ben Falconia armies or his Griffiths or his men going to try to make use of these things. It's it's just something I, I'm wondering about. It's you know, what's mm. the extent of the powers they're looking for. You know, is it just portals or is there more? Is there more? You know. Yeah, I was going to ask you to clarify, but you you finished up. I I, I was I thought you were trying to say that the transportation could be used on the Wickerman. You're simply saying they're utilizing these old technologies tied to ruins, but they could also reach out beyond just the portal technology into yeah. what other forms of ancient technology would they utilize? Anything I would imagine. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. even drawing the line. It, it could be also stuff used like for actual you know military. Again, yeah. I don't know, but you know, let's say you know a wand that can shoot fireballs, you know, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is, uh, you know. So it's it's just we we are not clear yet on exactly what type of relics they're looking for. If it's just for transportation, or is there 
more. If it, it could be, like I say again, for uh, weapons, it could be, I don't know, the life, that kind of stuff. It's definitely not the direction I thought the series would take, to be honest. If Miura takes that further than what he is right now, which is just basically a means to an end for these portals. Because to me, I, I always expected, and I'm not saying this, the series has gone in the wrong direction. I'm just saying in my expectations for where he would go. I, I first saw things like apostles empowering humans, like humans getting their power not through external means, that is external from Balconia, but internal means from Balconia. Mm. That always made sense to me thematically. But for, if they're going to empower themselves on things that they you know, fundamentally oppose, that is to say, the way of life of magicians, that just seems strange to me. Uh, you know, I, I think I, – I don't think the two are um, necessarily opposites and – I don't think it's going to be uh, like, oh, you guys, we got all these magical items. Uh, please, you know, take them and make use of them. I think it's going mm-hmm. to be like Griffith's going to use these things for his army in a very controlled and very specific way. But I think the general population uh, will still be depending a lot on, like, on Falconia itself and its power and that kind of stuff. And, like, uh, I still do believe that we may see, for example, soldiers being uh, empowered by apostles in a way that's mm-hmm. like, you know, becoming pseudo-apostles. That kind of stuff. I, I, think, I still think that's... Because even even now, for example, when you see what Raban is saying, oh, you know, we are limited by the amount of demon soldiers we have. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, I was immediately I thought back to, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. They're going to round up <laughs> the apostles that can, uh, you know, mutate humans and uh, they're going to have a volunteer program, you know, going up. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, honey, yeah, it's a great day. It's today, two days a day. I'm getting my promotion. Yeah. And the guy I'm comes becoming, back. I'm, I'm, I'm being anointed today. <laughs> <laughs> a, yeah, he comes back into, you know, a ki- as a kind of, you know, half monster like Zondark or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. But it'll be, the, the, what would be interesting is if he takes that takes that and it makes it like a, a glory. Like you said, like a something to be proud of. Yeah, you know, exactly. That your husband has been created into a true warrior, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or it might be, I don't know, if you get caught stealing an apple in Falconia, you, you're you going to serve time, you know, you're going to be a legionary mm. or something like that. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, all these things... Um, I don't think they're necessarily opposite. And I definitely don't think uh, Falconia citizens are going to be individually empowered uh, with mm. tools like that. It's definitely, they're going to be kept ignorant. Uh, they're going to be kept. And I, you know, and I think the way, you know, even things are presented in this episode, we're saying, well, it's only Griffiths and Sonia who can do it. Right. You know, I mean, it's bottlenecked. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that. Uh, any actual magic user can do that, you know. And for example, sure. Shiruke and Farnese could do it. And it's just, it's not, you know, they're not going to say, oh, you guys can learn to do it. It's now you can't. So you're going to do it when we tell you to do it and we, you're going to follow us and do what we say. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even necessarily know how it works, but just knowing Berserk a little bit, it seems to me like these uh, dolmens just have basically a function and that Sonia and Griffith can tap its function, basically. Yep. So, and yeah, as to the direction of the story, I think it still makes sense. I mean, honestly, uh, conquest and destroying, yeah, sure. We we still don't know the what the end goal uh, of the God Hand is. But uh, yeah. yeah, Griffith is definitely fulfilling his role. Uh, everything is proceeding as planned. And yeah, we'll get more answers in due time. But so far, uh, so good, I would say. I mean, if you can say it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything's shining and, and, and seemingly happy for now. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the story's right where we left it in that, in that sense. So, yeah, that's the end of this one. There is no date for the next episode. It is it is possible that we'll get one in a month. It is possible we won't get one in, for several months. We won't know until we come back here in another month, I guess. Uh, but volume 40 is out September 28th. So it's possible we'll hear about something around that time. Um, until then, I can't imagine we're leaving this perspective. It's, it was been, it has been too brief, even though we, we have gotten the revelation about, you know, why we would return to this perspective. And it could simply be to show off this new form of transport that Miura has bestowed. Or there could be even bigger developments happening in Falconia in the next episode. You know, who knows? But yeah, this is actually uh, a big question because mm-hmm. I think both cases are 
quite possible. Uh, it could be, you know, like a break in the story uh, meant because, you know, like there needed to be one after Casca had his, uh, you know, basically re- mm-hmm. remember- breakdown. Yeah, remembrance and broke down, you know, because of it. And, it, you know, it serves to, you know, show us, you know, that Falcone has his abilities and we return to uh, Elfham, we deal with guts and stuff. And then, you know, that's, that's interrupted by, for example, Sonia arriving on Skellig. So that could be a, a development, but we could also go to Falconia and uh, learn some more about Griffiths and what's going on, you know, behind the scenes and that kind of stuff deep down in the palace, in the shadowy, you know, halls of the Falconia castle. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think both are, are possible. And uh, in any case, I'm, I'm sure it will be great to see. Yeah, as as far as brevity in terms of the character perspective changing, it wouldn't be crazy to do a two episode one. I mean, we saw we went back to Griffith's camp to see him eat cake once, and then we went right back to guts. Yeah. So it's totally feasible that that would happen uh, in, the, in the story. So who knows? Yep, yep. Um, I guess that's where I'm going to leave you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back maybe in a month. I would love to be back in a month to talk about 358, but we will see. Thanks for tuning in. Indeed. Bye. The Skullcast is a production of Skullnight.net, a Berserk fan community. If you like what you heard, please visit patreon.com sknet. Donations there do not go towards the podcast, but instead toward our resident translator, Puela, who ensures that our members have access to high-quality, text-based translations of Berserk. Puela has also been translating interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. Many of these interviews have never been translated into English, so it's very exciting to read those. That kind of work simply wouldn't have happened without support from our donors. If you'd like to chip in a buck or two, please know that it all helps. Once again, that's patreon.com sknet. If you have a question or want to comment on the podcast, visit our forum, skullnet.net slash forum. Near the top, you'll see a section devoted to the podcast. There's always an active thread in there, so go ahead, leave a post, and someone's sure to respond quickly. Thanks for listening.